0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dana-Farber scientists laid the foundation for CDK-4-6 inhibitors, new drugs that are increasing the survival rate for many advanced breast cancers. Learn more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere.
1: This is Fresh Air. I'm Tanya Mosley. This month marks 50 years of hip-hop. To celebrate, all this week we'll be featuring interviews with some of the most influential rappers and DJs over the last 50 years. We'll start at the beginning with DJ Kool Herc, who on August eleventh, 1973, DJed an end-of-summer party in his Bronx apartment's rec center. Little did he know that it was the beginning of hip-hop as we know it. Kool Herc was the first DJ to isolate and repeat the breaks, the most danceable beats in a record, to rev the party and keep the dancers going. Although Herc is often credited as the father of hip-hop, he didn't record, and for years remained relatively unknown. Grandmaster Flash took Herc's method one step further, developing mixing and scratching techniques that became part of the basics of hip-hop. We'll hear Terry's interview with him later in the show. His group, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, was the first hip-hop group inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Melly Mel was a member and rapped on The Message, which is considered one of the best rap records ever made. We'll hear from him also. But let's kick it off with DJ Kool Herc. He spoke to Terry in 2005 about the parties he threw in the Bronx back in the 70s. They started with a mix that Kool Herc would often play at parties.
2: Kirk, welcome to Fresh Air. Take us back to to the beginning of hip hop. Would you describe what you would do at parties?
3: Okay. The party would start out like this. I ride my bicycle summertime all over the Bronx everywhere. And people as I go along, they would ask, me, "Hey, hurt the last party was the it was the bomb. It was the joint." You know, that was just, that's when the first slang thing started. It was the joint. I love it. When is the next one? Until that build up, when is the next one? That's when we give the party. And we give the party three weeks prior to the date. We start put our invitations about it on index card.
2: Tell us what it was like at the party like how you would um, play records, how you would find the breaks, how you started finding the breaks.
3: I would, um, when I fought playing, people didn't see me. I was in a room. I used to stick my head out and see how the party was going. Me and my friends was in the room, and I was, we would, we'd stick our head out and see how the party's going, and we'd call people names out. And I didn't have the luxury of um, headphones. I had to cue, cue in the record over the music, because that's the way my setup was set up. And I was, you know, the record, you could tell where the brakes are. It's a dark groove, and people used to wait some time for those particular parts of the record to come on. And I would just play stuff, you know. And I would tell them that I have new records. I want them to check it out. At the same time, I'm checking it out. And if it's something I'm personally to like, I would tell them I'm feeling this one, and I hope you like the rest I play. You know, because they came to my house. I, you know, they're my guests.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, what made you think that it would be great at parties to just play those breaks over and over to make almost like a loop of those breaks instead of just playing the whole records? Because this straight the through. one
3: misconception to me. I'm a disc jockey. I'm not a DJ. I'm a disc jockey. Mm-hmm. I paid a disc to make you jockey. And one night I experiment. The breaks came out of an experiment by I'm watching the people dancing. A lot of people used to wait for some particular part of the records. I'm I'm studying the floor. I got I'm I'm like a shepherd. I'm watching the flock. You know? I got to maintain this crowd going on till around four o'clock, so I'm, I have to, I, I'm very, I'm very observant. So what I I was noticing people was to wait for them particular parts of the record to dance to, just to do that special little move. So I said, listen, I'm gonna do a thing. I'm gonna call it the merry-go-round. So I put all these breaks that I know that I have in my in my collection together. Some of them I have two, most of them I only have one. So they just have to keep it going. I called it a merry-go-round, and I, at the time I had a record called Apache, and it was off an album called The Incredible Bonga Rock, and that record set the tone.
2: If you're just joining us, my guest is Cool Herc, and he's basically considered the
3: father of, of hip-hop, of, of, of DJing. No, not basically. I am.
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, the cool- box
3: stopped right here. <laughs> it's nobody after George Washington. Likewise, same thing for Cool Herc.
2: What were the records that you thought had the best breaks when you were doing parties in the seventies?
3: James Brown, Give It Up, Turn It Loose. A lot of James Brown record, Get Involved, Bobby Bird record, Hot Pants, you know, and, and um, Dennis Coffey, you know, Scorpio, soundtracks from Shaft in Africa, you know, and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. I'm still buying records to 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 this day. What are you buying? good stuff that's not played on the radio.
2: Would you describe one of the best parties that you can remember
3: mm. from
2: from the early days of hip-hop?
3: Bet All of them was good. All of them. But I couldn't... Mm. I just could remember sometime I played some particular record that we were, I remember that when we first heard a record called um, Seven Minutes of Funk, we heard it in a place called um, at Hunts Point and Jay-Z used it, and a few other people used that same record, and that came out of my collection. And when we played that record, or what we did, Coke did it. Coke put the record on, and we all walked off the stage. And the record just came on, boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. And it kept on going. And it just kept on going through changes. And everybody was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, even when we play Heat Wave, the slow record, you know, everybody was shocked because, you know, we played a lot of records that um, the radio wasn't playing Till we found out the radio station started sending spies to the clubs to hear what we playing. That's a lot of the records now start to get played on the radio.
2: Back in the seventies, when when you were doing parties, you
3: charge for admission, right? Twenty five cents for fellas, for ladies, and fifty cents for fellas. After that, it was seventy five for fellas, fifty cents for ladies. We was charging according to what the juicy fruit gum was selling for. <laughs> we budgeted ourselves according to. The, we were not trying to get rich, you know. Every the was fifty cents, we got to charge twenty five cents. I mean, the gum was twenty. If the gum was a a dime a nickel, we got it to toss fifty, you know, like that. We wasn't trying to get rich.
2: So, how many people would show up to the typical party?
3: We well, I tell you one thing. We went upstairs. We poured it. On, we poured it out on the table. We made five hundred dollars selling francs and all that. Three to four hundred dollars. We was clocking, so and there's a little recreation room.
2: Hmm. Hmm. Did you have to pay to rent the room?
3: Yes, twenty-five dollars.
2: Oh, it's not bad. No.
3: Yeah, it was just, you know, it was fun. And at the time, people couldn't, people didn't want nobody in their house. Mom's still paying for the furniture. People's not going to be too careful in your house. You don't want people all up in your business. So the recreation was perfect. You couldn't tear nothing up in there. We had two bathrooms. We had a kitchen, and we had space to dance.
2: So a lot of the apartment buildings had recreation rooms?
3: Uh, yeah, a few of them. Mm-hmm. At least a new one. We live in a new building at the time because we, uh, we was burnt down. From where we lived, at on the east side, and we, we stayed in the Grand Concourse Hotel for a minute, and my mom's held out and held out till something came along, and it was the first building on Cedric Avenue right by the Major Deacon Highway. They say, Mrs. Campbell, we think we have something you're looking for, and sure enough, we found it: two bathrooms and enough room for all of us. It was the Brady, we the Brady Bunch family, three boys and three girls, <laughs> and we lived on the first floor.
2: You moved to New York in 1967 from Jamaica at the age of yeah. 13. What was your first reaction to New York? You moved to, the, what, to the South Bronx?
3: No, I moved on the I on the West Bronx, on Tremont Avenue, 178th Street, 611 East 178th Street.
2: Okay. So and, um, what was your first reaction to it, and how did it compare <coughs> to the neighborhood you were used to in Jamaica?
3: <laughs> well, I was, at the time, watching TV down there, Petticoat Junction, and... Dennis the Menace, and I just thought the United, all the United States was like good old Mr. Wilson, Dennis the Menace (laughs) neighborhood. I was in for a rude awakening when I got here. I went from, I was living, I was living in in Jamaica, uh, originally in in, um, Jonestown, you know, Trenchtown over there on 2nd Street there. Bob Marr live on 1st Street, I live on 2nd Street, nearby a little school nearby. I attend a school nearby. A, a movie theater called the Ambassador Theater, and it, it when I moved to Franklin Town and got more into seeing the, the disco develop, I would I didn't live in a ghetto part of Jamaica, Franklin Town. You know, it was like a little suburbia, but it was probably something about me ghetto. But when I got here, it was like it was no different. I'm like whoa. I'm living upstairs over other people, people living over me. I lived in a yard in Jamaica. I had a yard. I didn't live in a tenement. You know, and I I see dirt. I didn't see concrete all the time, you know. And snow. I never seen snow before. You know, and it was like a it was a wake up call. It wasn't a good old Mr. Wilson neighborhood.
2: (laughs) What surprised you most about what the styles were when you got to New York? You know, was were the clothes different? Were <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: I, I, I wasn't. I didn't have the hip clothes. I had, to, I had on the hick clothes. I had on the aviator hat that you pull over your ears, and the flip up top. I had the wide corduroy jacket on. I looked straight like a hick. And then I had <laughs> on. I I love cowboy boots from back in Jamaica, and watching cowboy pictures. So I thought that, you know cowboy boots was you know was was the bomb. When I got in, and got a pair cowboy winter boots, this girl in high school. Junior high school teased me to death. You yeah, look at him. He got on roads Killers, roads Killers. He, she had the whole <laughs> hallway just tearing me up. Roads Killers, roads Killers, and all that. Do you know I seen her one time years later? I said, remember me? She said, yeah. I remember you. I used to tease you about them random cowboy boots. and I said, look around the place right now. What do you see? She said, oh, my God. I said, yeah, I guess I was ahead of my time then, right? Sure you're right. It was a cowboy style was in the cowboy style was in. When Teddy Pendergrass made that record and now they're on the cowboy hat and all that.
2: So but they called That's your cowboy the, boots roach killers.
3: Yes, that was pointy toe. They called any pointy toe shoes like that it was called roach killers. Okay you could get in a corner kill a roach with it.
2: <laughs> um so um have you ever done a radio show? No. Do you think that's I'd something you'd want to do sometime? Show. You know, like to DJ on the radio.
3: I would love it, but I'd have that have free reign to play what I, I, I'll play. Uh huh. And I, I don't, you don't get that at radio stations, so I don't really bother with it. Right. You can't tell me what to play in New York City when this culture was born here.
2: <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for talking with us.
3: You're welcome.
1: DJ Cool Herc, the first hip hop DJ, spoke to Terry in 2005. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this past May. Let's listen to a record that Herc would play a lot when he DJ'd with singer Jill Scott.
4: We, you wanna tear it down, but you can't touch me we, we ain't invincible, but Lord knows we are beautiful And bless the
1: affirmative, oh yeah don't let nobody hold you back, no, no, no Don't let nobody hold you, control your emotion Coming up, we'll hear what Grandmaster Flash did to take DJing to the next level with turntable techniques like scratching, needle drops, and his quick mix theory. We'll be back after a quick break. This is Fresh Air.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, whose scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. DanaFarber.org slash everywhere.
1: For the seventh year on the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction.
4: Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all.
1: At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. This is Fresh Air. Ladies and gentlemen, it's
4: now the time for the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious 5 MC. We're coming. 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 We're, coming. We're, coming. We're here. Oh.
1: While DJ Cool Herc is often credited as the father of hip-hop, Grandmaster Flash was one of the first DJs to make successful rap records and become a pioneer in the genre. In the 70s, he developed mixing and scratching techniques that became part of the basics of hip-hop. He spoke to Terry Gross in 2002. Grandmaster Flash, welcome to Fresh Air.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: Um, I'm
2: interested in how you started mixing music how you started using two turntables, or or maybe even more than two, was this something you started doing at home or in clubs as a DJ?
5: My love for 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 vinyl and for the turntables probably started off when I was a toddler. You know, um, growing up at home, uh, I was uh, pretty fortunate to um, be around a, a montage of different types of music. Like my sisters, my bigger sisters were into like. Um, Tito Puente, Joe I uh, Like my father was into like uh, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, um, Cab Calloway. My mother was like into Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Lena Horne, stuff of that nature. So, and then um, and I had a sister. that was a sister that was like into the Michael Jackson sound. So I, I was pretty fortunate to grow up listening to quite a bit of vinyl. And um, my probably my love for it um, probably came about when I was old enough to sort of start looking into uh, turntables and stuff of that nature. And that's probably, you know, although it was a negative experience, and when I say negative, meaning like I used to just sort of take apart electrical items in my in my mother's house, including turntables, just to figure out how they work and why they work. And um, my intention was to put it back together properly, but I just could not do it. But I just had this thing where I just had to know how the inside of a turntable worked, how the inside of a radio worked, and how my my father's stereo and that's probably where, it's, where it really started just like they had this undying interest of um
2: well, you basically started using turntables as if they were instruments what What? yeah what, how did you start using turntables to change the music that you were listening to as opposed to just playing the music
5: well I think coming up I, I watched a lot of DJs um in my early teens and watched the DJs of that particular time uh they were playing the music, um, like my influences, although they were, they were great positive influences. I'm talking about DJ Koo Herc and um, DJ Jones. These two DJs inspired me to do what I did. And they, they would play the music, and I, I just sort of felt like I can take the most exciting part of a record, which we call break and sort of extend that because a lot of these songs that I was listening to were like obscure funk tunes where the break section was like maybe 10 seconds long and from a frustrated point of view I um, had this thought that if I can just come up with a, a, a system, a way of just taking duplicate copies of the record with two turntables and a mixer I can extend that that 5, five or ten second part seamlessly and make it 10 minutes if I wanted to and that's you know my thoughts manifested into creating an art form called the quick mix theory which is actually taking a passage of music or two duplicate copies of vinyl and sort of moving the disc back and forth and repeating a section of the of the passage you know between duplicate copies of the record that's where it started.
2: So um you would let like the 10 seconds play on one record and then switch to the other turntable, and meanwhile back up the first turntable to the beginning of that part
5: of the record. Exactly. That was called the clock theory, yeah.
2: Because you were putting the needle down on exactly the right part of the record with the rhythm that you wanted to hear, could could you actually, you know, some people say that you were able to look at the grooves of a vinyl record and know exactly where the rhythm was that you wanted, that you could actually see it in the
5: grooves. Well, actually, you know, I, I was pretty decent at it, but it was my, my first student that I taught this quick mix theory to, Grand Wizard Theodore, was probably the best at that, and it was called Needle Drops. But what I came up with is what I call the clock theory, and the clock theory w- was where you would place the needles down on both um, copies of the vinyl, and when the ending of one was over, you would, push in the next fader but while the other one was playing you would sort of spin the record back one or two revolutions to the top of that break and then when the other one was over you would push in the other so it was like push spin back push spin back so I actually never you know this here this made it an assured way of being able to get back to the beginning of the break section without actually having to pull the, the, the needle up and what I would do is I would mark like on the label if it was like a record from a if it was a 12 inch from a Atlantic Records and if the break beginning began at let's just say at the top of the A I would sort of put like a magic marker right there so that would be my, my clock of where I had to bring the record back to one or two revolutions back to re-arrive at the top of the break and I would just sort of do this with two copies of records back and forth back and forth so picking up the needle, you know, was no longer an issue because that day wasn't was definite because once you picked it up, you know, I, I could always get close to it, but it was never really, like, exact. And creating the clock theory, which all DJs use today now, where they mark the album um, at a certain point, uh, is uh, my, one of my contributions to the art of the DJ mix.
2: Why don't we listen to one of your, your now classic recordings, and this is The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of
4: Steel. You say, 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 One for the trouble, two for the time. Come on, girls, let's rock that.
1: Five, five, ready, tell me everybody's side. DJ spinning, I said, my, my. Flash is back, flash is back.
2: Flash is cool,
4: Francois, Flash you say one you for the trouble, two for the time. Come on, girls, let's rock that.
2: That's Grandmaster Flash from the early 80s, one of his classic recordings, The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to hear that again, but this time keep your microphone on and have you describe what you're doing as we listen to it.
4: Here we go. You see, you see, punch face, you see, you see, this you see, uh, Spoon and G Monster Jam. Boy, boy, I let it go there. Come on girls, let's rock that. <laughs> it's a blondie here.
5: Punch face, punch face, cool
4: back to Spoonie again come on girls let's rock
5: into good times chic into Apache on the rub cutting it up cutting it up Backing again Punch face. Queen. Another one bites the dust. In. Cutting into to rhythm. Uh, 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 uh. I'm using good times to rub the rhythm against queen. Good times.
2: That release is so nice, the way it synchronizes there.
5: Thank you. Thank you. That's the whole key to it, you know? That's what my contribution is. Keeping it on time. That was, like, the key.
4: Master, cut faster.
5: It's, um, I punch bass. From Freedom.
4: Cut cut, cut, cut faster. Cutting it up. Grandmaster. Grandmaster, cut faster
5: the punch phase in good times back to good times
2: let's well, grandmaster flash walking us through his recording the adventures of grandmaster flash on the wheels of steel recorded in 1981 you know the, the way good times and uh, queen's another another one bites the dust the way the rhythm of the two work together is really good what made you think about putting those two together
5: uh, well, probably, I mean, first, they were, they, they were two pretty big songs at that particular time, and um, they're almost in the same key. Um, they're almost identical in, in the way that the bass is being played, and um, they worked really well um, in the club back in the days. So I felt, you know, putting it in the mix was like a, a real good idea, you know.
2: Now, was Scratching something that you invented, or was that invented, by, by one of the people who influenced you?
5: Well, actually, it was called cutting, and the whole thing was, like I, I said earlier in the um, interview, um, it was called the quick mix theory, and we called it cutting because it was actually taking a section of, th- of the rhythm and rearranging it. And this is something that I've um, created um, over 27 years ago. It's now called scratching, which is sort of just like one part. It's almost like, you know, saying to a boxer, um... He's boxing, but now we're going to call it right hook. You know, the right hook is only one area of a boxer's skill. And like the scratching is just one area of what this thing, you know, entails, you know. Scratching, you
2: just for it. any of our listeners who, who don't know what scratching is, is when you're, you're moving the record back and forth with the needle on it, and the sound mm-hmm. of the needle scratching the record creates part of the rhythm track that you're going right. for.
5: Right. Uh, because of sort of sound.
2: Yeah, right. yeah. So um, did you practice that a lot at home so you, you could just like really play these turntables as instruments and do exactly what you wanted on them?
5: Yeah, I, I sort of, um, I was looking for something because at this time, what I wanted to come up with this science, there was no, no point of reference, no blueprints around. So I was constantly at it, yes, but I was looking for something. And as I was looking for something, you know, I would run into obstacles. And that's when, you know, I had to start considering um, coming up with with different techniques, which is like... um, uh, torque versus inertia for turntables, you know, because a lot of the turntables, like, you can buy a turntable now that's suited for whatever you want. You want to do this, you can buy a turntable for that or a mixer or a needle. But at this particular time, um, in the 70s, this stuff didn't exist. So I had to, like, actually come up with science and terms and terminologies, you know. And uh, with turntables, I came up with this thing called the torque factor. And uh, the torque factor is um, based on if from the state of inertia and you press that power switch, if that platter takes more than a turn to be up to speed, then the torque of that motor wasn't very good, you know. So um, in my search, you know, I went through countless amount of turntables. So I had to actually create the the electrical items first before even coming up with the quick mix theory. And then I had to um, go look at needles, and then I... Learned that needles, you know, were in two classifications, which is um, one is the elliptical and the other is the conical, you know. And uh, conical, although it doesn't sound as good, it stood stood in the grooves better because it was shaped like a nail versus like an elliptical stylus that was built like a backwards J. But as soon as you would bring the disc back, it would fall out of the groove. So, you know, all these things had to come into play before I even was able to even start doing any cuttings, scratching or whatever the case may be.
2: You must have been pretty obsessive at that time taking apart turntables and shopping for just the right needle and you know designing all these uh, variations on the technology that you were u- using so it could do what you needed it to do. You must have really been intense. <laughs>
5: Well, I, I I probably was more frustrated than anything because I mean so much stuff I had to buy like a lot of it was trial and error you know I, you know uh trying to get my hands on the right needle you know I had to go through countless needles you know trying to find the right turntable I had to go through countless turntables and then finding the right mixer and then finding the right mixer, but then it didn't it didn't have a a, a, a system where I can prehear the music in my head, so I had to create something called the Peekaboo system. So I had to like actually <laughs> jury rig these things, you know. In my frustration, my my frustration kept me more, it fueled 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 um the fire to me just staying at this, staying at this, and you know, uh, throwing away my teenage years. You know where you know your teenage years is when you know you're feeling your oats and you want to go hang out with the girls and you want to go to the parties and stuff. I think I probably Lived either like in the junkyards, going through like um, abandoned stereo equipment, or look, you know, going through um, abandoned cars, taking out the speakers and the radios and stuff of that nature. I probably was lived in my room more so, you know, just looking for something, you know. Did you have the money?
2: Did you have the money to buy a lot of um, uh, stereo equipment?
5: No, that's why I had to go into backyards and look for stuff and and, um, uh, sort of like go through abandoned cars or ask people you know that might have been throwing away stuff just you know just so that I can just basically have these things but at this point in time I still didn't know what these internal parts was so while I was tearing up all the stuff inside my mother's house and became like public enemy number one with my sisters and stuff um (laughs) um I um my mother decided to send me to school what Um, kind of school Samuel Gompers Vocational and Technical High School, and that's where I started to understand like what is a resistor, what is a capacitor, what is AC versus DC, what is a transformer, what's a push-pull circuit, what's a diode rectifier, what's um, a transistorized versus tubes, and and and, and what's an ohm and what's a uh, Uh, what's an oscilloscope and what's a wave and you know I started like actually understanding as I was you know not so now when I tore into something I sort of had somewhat of an idea of what it is and what it did so all these things helped me to jury rig and and put together you know this peekaboo system to a mix that I didn't have it and to figure out you know how turntables work and how that works so it kind of helped me to put together the system so that I can start on getting this concept out of my head that just kept, just kept, you know, it just kept staying in my head, so to speak.
2: Let's get back to your new CD, the Grandmaster Flash Essential Mix Classic Edition. One of the things on here is uh, Blondie's Rapture, and that's one of the songs that you sample in The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel because she mentions you in the song. Yes, Um, how did you find out about each other? Do you know?
5: Well, actually, um, how it happened was when I was maybe 10 years before I recorded making records, um, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Fab Five, Freddie, who used to come to my, come to my parties, but he also had this incredible connection with like the whites and, um different races of people downtown in the village. So back in the days he was like hanging downtown in the village, but he would come up to the Bronx and, and party with Flash, hurricane Bam. And um he was sort of like our town crier also. He would go downtown and say, Listen, there's this guy's uptown, you guys you know, this guy named Flash, you gotta come you know, come check him, you know, and uh he would say to me, I'm gonna bring one of my good friends up, um, Deborah Harry and everybody at that time knew who Knew that name and I was basically on some year right, whatever. And then surprisingly enough, a couple of weeks later he brought this woman to my party and she watched me play and she was extremely happy with the way that I played. And um said that she was gonna write a song about me. I took it as a grain of salt, didn't really believe it until maybe two or three months later and she did it. And she opened up so many doors for hip hop by doing that
2: well, why don't we close with, um, with Raptor which is on your new mix CD and um, Grandmaster Flash thanks so much for talking with us
5: my pleasure
1: Master Flash spoke to Terry Gross in 2002. After a break, we'll continue our celebration of hip-hop's early pioneers with Melly Mel, who rapped on the hip-hop classics The Message and White Lines. This is Fresh Air. This message comes from NPR sponsor KeyBank.
0: At KeyBank, they believe in delivering for their clients. Whatever the economic turn, KeyBank is primed to collaborate and help create solutions tailored to your ideas and your vision. With nearly 200 years of banking experience, they know a lot about being a trusted advisor. And whether you're managing growth, seeking solutions, or improving your bottom line, KeyBank is ready to be yours. KeyBank opens doors. Learn more at key.com advisor.
4: This message comes from NPR sponsor, the American Cancer Society. By the end of this message, two people will be told they have cancer. Yes, every 15 seconds, someone is diagnosed with cancer. But by the end of this message, you could do something about it with your donation. A gift of any amount to the American Cancer Society can help those facing cancer get free rides to care or a free place to stay closer to treatment. Donate today at Cancer.org. There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format. So you become a mini-expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash considerthisnewsletter.
0: Hi, this is Molly C.B. Nesper, producer at Fresh Air.
4: And this is Seth Kelly, also a producer at Fresh Air.
0: If you like the Fresh Air podcast, we think there's a pretty good chance that you'll also like the Fresh Air newsletter.
4: It's a weekly newsletter written by us, the people who help make the show.
0: You'll get all the week's interviews and reviews in one place. Plus, staff recommendations, interviews from the archive, bonus audio, and what's coming up on the show.
4: Imagine, an email you enjoy getting.
0: To subscribe, go to WHYY.org Fresh
1: This is Fresh Air. The Message, by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, is considered one of the most influential rap records and is one of the first that offered social commentary on inner city poverty. The song was written by producer Duke Booty, but Melly Mel rapping made it a hit.
4: It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder How I keep
1: from going under
4: Broken glass I'm trying not to lose my head <laughs> It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep them going under
1: When Melly Mel recorded that rap, it was a departure from typical rap records. And he wasn't that enthusiastic about recording it.
6: Our group, like Flash and the Furious Five, we didn't actually want to do the message because we was used to doing party raps, you know, and, like, boasting about how good we are and all that. And uh, when, when the record company... Uh, brought the record to us to do we didn't actually want to do it and I was the only one that like I just caved in I said listen if, if this is the record we're going to do then I'll just do it and it's no big thing but I didn't think that it was it would uh be I do think I didn't, I didn't think that it would be pivotal either way you know like on a good or bad and I just thought it was going to be just another record that we had did
2: so did you ever try the message at parties before you went into the recording studio or would that have been all wrong
6: no, we never we never tried it. And as a matter of fact, I was shocked because we used to hang out in a club called Disco Fever up in the Bronx, right? And then they took the record, you know, they, they was testing it. Like, uh, they tested it down on a, a record shop on 125th Street, you know, just putting it, you know, just letting it play and people outside, you know, listening to it. And then they tested it in, in, the, in the club where we hung out at, and the people really liked it. And that was coming right behind Planet Rock, which was a, a big, big record back then. And when they played the message in the club and the people liked it, I was kinda shocked because I didn't think that, you know, coming from Planet Rock to, you know, a serious record like The Message, I didn't think that I thought it would be like a lapse in, in, you know, the uh the level of the crowd, the intensity of the crowd. But it wasn't. So, yeah. Right then I knew that the record was gonna be more than what I thought it was gonna be.
2: Um can I ask you how you started rapping?
6: Well, we started uh going to going to parties. It used to be like uh Little like maybe a dollar parties, two dollar parties, and they had a DJ called Cool Herc. He had well, it was all DJs, but they rapped. They they didn't actually rap in rhythm, but they used to say little phrases. You know, uh, Coke rock, Timmy Tim, and Clark Kent. That that was the guys' names, and they was the big DJs. They was like the big DJs back then, and we used to go to their parties. And I just started rapping, just trying to emulate them. You know, to be to be like them, because they was like more or less our heroes back then.
2: What were some of the kinds of rhymes they were using?
6: they wouldn't use rhymes it's like uh if if you could imagine it would be like a a dark room or a gym and it's like smoky cuz everybody was smoking everything from cigarettes to whatever you know mm-hmm. and uh and they they would they be playing the music and then it it all be echo chamber so they would be like rock 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 free free, free. you know it just right. it was like uh, more or less like kind of a psychedelic kind of thing because everything they said it was echoes you know and this is why they call me the shoe machine shock y'all 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 you know it was like all this echoing. you you walk in there you'd be like dumbfounded because it's like you just stepped into another world you know what i mean and there's all these dark figures around and smoke and you know it was like awesome you know for us it was like a rush you know just stepping in these parties
2: so what were the early rhymes you were doing
6: we was doing like uh you know, I'm Melly Mel and I rock so well from the top of the world to the depths of hell. This is my first rhyme, I rock with the best, with the most finesse. I'm taking the top and leaving what's left, like real simple stuff, you know. Just boasting rhymes, you know, nothing nothing, nothing real heavy or nothing like that. Or nothing real technical because there was no technique. We was just going by our own thing.
2: How did you uh, come up with your name, Melly Mel?
6: Flash gave me that name. Because that was my name was just Melvin, so I don't think that would be like a cool name. Like right. you know, <laughs> MC Melvin.
2: <laughs> so
6: so Flash, you know, he started calling me Melly Mel and it stuck.
2: Where were the parties held?
6: In gyms, in uh not not too many halls. We did basically the first halls, but it was like in gyms and, and like little little social club type things. Her I think Herc the Heavalo. That was, I guess, was a club. I never was there, but used to play in the PAL, and that was like a, a a a gym, you know, little halls, you know, nothing big or extravagant, but it was like, you know, nice little small dark joints, you know, real comfortable, sweaty, you yeah. <laughs> know.
2: W- was there often trouble at the parties?
6: Yeah, but like the 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 uh the trouble the trub- the trouble at the parties was like it was it was set up like. It was nothing going on in the party itself, right? But all the guys that, like, did stick-ups and stuff like that, they'd be in the bathroom. So when you went to the bathroom, if you didn't know these guys, then they'd rob you. So that it wasn't like, like how it is now, like... Uh, Guys would actually be in the party itself and shoot up the party, or maybe they come outside and shoot up the party. If you got shot, you might get shot in the bathroom. You know, that was like the only spot that you'd have to be be wary of, basically. And then you did have your isolated instances, you know, something happening outside, but it would never happen in in the party, so to speak. It would always be like away from the party.
2: So would you go to the bathroom? Did you know enough people that oh, no, it was safe everybody. for you to go? <laughs> I, I knew
6: everybody, so it was definitely safe. I knew, you know, because before I was rapping, I, I used to be a dancer, so, you know, uh, I, I just met, like, all all of the stick-up guys, all the dope-dealing guys. I knew them all. all if I didn't know them, they, I was familiar with them. So, you know, if it's a familiar face, they might let you come and go, you know. And I wasn't no sharp dress. I didn't have no jewelry and nothing like that, or no clean sneakers, or, you know, something that, you know, they would want to take. So, you know, I was always safe.
1: That's rapper Melly Mel speaking with Terry in 1992. And we should note that he was arrested in June and charged with felony domestic violence. He denies wrongdoing, and a trial is pending. More on the conversation with Melly Mel after a break. This is Fresh Air.
4: What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail. And hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration. Been so long since I've been free. Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network. It's
1: Been a Minute is a culture show you don't want to miss. Every week, we help you see the culture angle behind the headlines, the forces behind the trends, and the thinkers behind the next big thing. Tune in for the sharp cultural analysis and captivating interviews. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR. Listening to the news can
0: feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the
1: story together. Only from NPR. Let's get back to Terry's 1992 interview with rapper Melly Mel.
2: Another great record that you made was "White Lines," which is a, a kind of anti-cocaine record. You know, right. so "White Lines" don't do it. Right. So here, here you were actually <laughs> doing doing drugs while you were making the rap.
6: Right. But I you know, see the whole thing with with White Lines is is I didn't want to try to make a, a anti-cocaine song or a song that glorified cocaine. I just wanted to make a song about cocaine, or, mm-hmm. and that was a hit song because the the, the, the music that we used it was it wasn't original music we used it you know it was like a club song liquid liquid that was the name of the song and you know i used to be in the i used to be in the club and it's like if you ever hear a song and sing your own words to it in other words and they and they they were saying something in their record and every time i would hear it i would just say white lines you know and i was like you know it could be a good a good idea to make a song and it, we that that was all a part of the scene anyway you know the club scene back then it was like uh cocaine then it it wasn't like how it is now it was more fashionable you know what i mean it was fashionable to have it and and i started out not even you know i didn't use cocaine i should just have it because it was fashionable just to have it you come in the club you know everybody know you got blow girls know you got coke and you know it's just you just it was in the euphoria of that just having it and people that know you have it and they treat you better and and that's that that all that accumulated to me writing that song you know because that's the lifestyle that I was in I I wasn't around nobody that didn't use drugs Mm -hmm. and you know that was the lifestyle I was in so the song was for that time it was like the perfect song to write for that for that music and that time it was the perfect song
2: How did you come up with the idea of using the
6: higher, higher? That was just something that came naturally with the song, with the, tw- with the twist and shout thing. Mm-hmm. It, it just came naturally. I was like, you know, you know me piecing the, it together in my mind after the verse, and it's, ah, higher, baby, ah, higher, you know, and it just all, it all fell together. It was something real natural. I, as a matter of fact, before I even did the song, I even had a dream that went after, that I did the song and I heard it and I was in the club and the song was playing. So it's like I heard the song in my head even before we even did the record. So I, I knew exactly how I wanted the record to sound, so to speak.
2: I got one last question for you. Um, on, on your like, official documents, credit cards if you have them, or um, driver's license, do you use the name Melly Mel or do you use your birth name?
6: No, my birth name, Melvin Glover. That's my name. So how do you feel about that name now? It's, uh, it's a nice name. You know, I, I, I don't really think here nor there about it. You know, some people hear the name Glover, they say, are oh, you related to Danny Glover? <laughs> I feel like my pops was named Danny Glover. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Huh.
2: That's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks so much for talking with
6: us. Anytime.
1: Terry Gross interviewed Melly Mel in 1992. Tomorrow, we'll continue our celebration of the 50th anniversary of hip-hop with Daryl McDaniels, co-founder of one of rap's oldest groups, Run DMC. We'll also hear from LL Cool J and from record producer Nile Rodgers, the guitarist and co-founder of the disco group Chic. He'll talk about coming up with the bass line for the song Good Times, which was used in Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight. I hope you'll join us. To keep up with what's on the show and to get highlights of our interviews, follow us on Instagram at NPR Fresh Air. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallet, Phyllis Myers, Sam Brigger, Lorne Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Teresa Madden, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. Roberta Shorock directs the show. For Terry Gross, I'm Tanya Mosley. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day, we
4: transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news. We take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.